Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Story Collider's Stories of COVID-19. I'm your host, Erin Barker, and today's episode is the final installment of this new five-week series featuring stories of COVID-19. Later in the fall, we'll return for another short series of stories of COVID-19, but for now we're going to move on to some other topics. Next week, we'll begin sharing a series of special episodes centered around the celebration of Story Collider's 11th birthday. We'll be sharing some stories that were highlights of our online shows this past year, as well as some favorite stories from the past. Over the summer, we'll begin our new series, Human Nature, which is centered around stories about our relationship with the natural world. We so appreciate everyone who has reached out to us to let us know that our Stories of COVID-19 series has been a comfort or cathartic to them during this time. And today we're so happy to share this last episode with you, featuring stories about what it means to be a neighbor or to be part of a community during a pandemic. Our first story is from Adam Selbst. It was recorded last January at his home in Brooklyn, New York. Some people have described me as a bit of an extrovert. Let me explain. I totally willingly live in a converted bodega that doubles as a performance space with like seven other people, and I love it. I realize to a lot of people, this sounds like an absolute nightmare, but for an attention addict like me, it's the perfect place to get a fix. Because, uh, you know, the great thing about having seven roommates is that you're almost never, ever alone. And we also, we live on the street level and our windows, while they don't open, are these huge bodega windows. So the entire block is has an excellent view of anything that we're doing in our living room. It's this like joyous, overcrowded fish tank. Easily though, my favorite feature is this hand-built stage we have in the corner. And it's like overflowing with plants and musical instruments. And it's the centerpiece where we host our events. Or, you know, you know where we used to host our events. And now it's used to store like wet boots and boxes of cleaning supplies and stuff. So when COVID first strikes New York, just like everybody else, my roommates and I are terrified. Most of us lose our jobs and we're sent home to shelter in place. And for a lot of people, this means facing 
months of isolation. But on balance, I think we're pretty well situated to weather this particular storm. I mean, we've got like eight good friends for company. We've got all this bulk ordered toilet paper. And uh, I had purchased a sourdough starter. We quickly appointed a cruise director, began scheduling events, jazzercise with Richard Simmons at 8 a.m., followed by a craft hour, snack time, and then, you know, like a brief unscheduled nap for myself. Honestly, I figure we're pretty set for the foreseeable future. Yeah, so the first thing to go is the jazzercise. We uh, we may have miscalculated people's enthusiasm for waking up at dawn to participate in group exercise. Um, our cookie baking parties and movie nights happen less and less frequently as people just get more withdrawn, you know, like increasingly shell-shocked by these terrifying news reports and like the eerie silence on our street that's only punctuated by the piercing wails of what feels like endless ambulances. Neil, Neil is the first one to leave. They'd been taking care of a brief friend uptown, so it wasn't a huge surprise, but soon others start to go too. Uh, maybe it seemed just like an accident waiting to happen. Seven roommates all living together, breathing the same air. But each time one of them leaves, I, I feel more constricted. Rocky is next. Nicole, she's lived here for years, but she soon leaves to go and be with her family. Then Alyssa, and honestly, that one's tough. I could always hear her laughing and teasing people from my bedroom, and when she leaves, it feels like a lot of the joy leaves with her. By the time Nathan asked me to go for a walk, I already know what he wants to tell me. When the dust settles, there are only three of us left. At this point, though, a lack of friendship is the least of my concerns because we aren't able to even pay a rent. And I try to relax, but I can't keep the anxiety from forming in the days ahead. Would we have to shut down? Where would I go? What are we going to do? And my days and nights sort of devolve into this blur of wine and Netflix. And eventually, I just stop sleeping altogether, and I spend my nights wandering from room to room like a drunk ghost haunting an abandoned deli. My girlfriend, Tracy, isn't aware of this change in my attitude. And one morning, as I'm sitting there, bleary-eyed and kind of cranky, she comes to me with a suggestion. She says... Hey, I saw that there's this group that started bicycle delivering groceries to people who can't leave their homes. You love riding your bike. Why, you know, why don't you contact them? I think you'll really like them. They're anarchists. Anarchists, I say. I, I don't really think I'm an anarchist. I'm more of a nihilist. No, I think you're just lazy. I'm going to text you their email. Anyway, that's how I meet the Corona Couriers mutual aid project that delivers medicine and groceries and supplies to people throughout the city. And I hadn't really heard of mutual aid before, but I came to understand it as just this sort of like political engagement that focuses on solidarity um, and community. Um, you know, it's not charity. This is just like cooperation with friends and neighbors to make sure everyone's needs are being met. And I am 
super into it. I get my first call a couple days later, and I'm zipping excitedly through the streets of Brooklyn. My newly purchased messenger bag slung over my shoulder. Bonnie Tyler's, I need a hero, pumping through my earbuds. I was psyched. An immunocompromised family near me had put in a request for an ice cream cake and some birthday candles. Someone's birthday was in trouble, and I was going to save it. It was outside the supermarket after checking out that I encountered my first problem. I can't carry a frozen sheet cake in my bag without ruining it. And I'm standing there, transfixed, attempting to solve this puzzle unsuccessfully. You know, I I was not going to be saving someone's birthday. I was going to be ruining it. In the end, I just sort of like balance the cake on my handlebars and I get it to its destination. And, I, you know, it's pretty smushed. But, you know, I, I get it. It's fine. And I ride home totally elated. A second delivery, though, that provided more significant challenges. It was in a neighborhood that was so far away that I, as a 25-year New York City veteran, had never even heard of it before. And this list is comprised mostly of baby items. You know, diapers, baby food wipes, whatever, you got it. But unlike the cake delivery, there was a lot to carry. And also unlike the cake delivery, the stakes here are significantly higher. This isn't just a birthday I could ruin. You know, this is a baby, a human baby infant who, like, needs food and pull-ups and, I don't know, stuff. Like baby, you know, babies, they need stuff, they need things. And there was just no way that I was going to be able to carry all these things on my bike the two miles between the grocery store and my destination. I'm standing there contemplating how impossible it is until a checkout worker who notices my plight walks over and demonstrates how I can sort of like use empty bags to kind of like strap the groceries to myself while still leaving my hands free enough to operate the bicycle. And I realized this is the kind of ingenuity that my operation had been missing all along. Soon, I'm sort of floating down the street on my bike like an altruistic Michelin man. And I've never looked dumber and I've never felt prouder for looking so dumb. Anyway, the next day I take another delivery and another one the next day. And each day I take a delivery and each one of them has its own dumb complications, its own weird issues. And like one by one, I, you know, managed to overcome them. I uh, end up investing in a cheapest set of cheap saddlebags so like I can carry more groceries without having to like resort to strapping them to myself. And as I become more confident, I start taking jobs that are further and further away. And by mid-July, I'm taking jobs that are like a good 15 miles from where I live to neighborhoods I had only ever seen on a subway map before. And I'm buying food that I had never even heard of before. And I feel good. Like, not just good from the cycling and not just good because I'm getting out of the house, but because I'm, like, doing something where I'm thinking about somebody else besides myself for a couple hours a day. It turns out that altruism, just like attention, it's also, it's pretty addictive. One day I catch Tracy looking at me. Hey, babe, she says. 
you agree. Yeah, well, you know, I've been sleeping a lot better lately. No, I'm talking about your legs. And I look down and I see that my once spindly French fry legs had grown muscled and defined. Which is not to say that I look like Richard Simmons or anything, but it's enough to garner a little attention from my girlfriend, which, as we've previously discussed, I enjoy. Anyway, a couple months go by, and we find people to fill the rooms. A rent is finally being paid. As I start working again, too. It's freelance, but, you know, it's, it's work. And I still make my deliveries. It's part of my routine now. There's still times that, like, I feel like I'm, I'm really not going to be able to do it. Um, one of my more recent regulars doesn't have refrigeration, so she requires all of her food to be in cans. Cans are really heavy, and sometimes I'll be struggling up the hill to her house, breathing in this freezing bus exhaust, the weight of all these cans pulling me backwards and cinching my lungs tight. But, you know, she needs her cans. She, she has a kid. Her kid needs her pediasure. Um, so I do it. I do it every time, every day. I do it, and it's hard. But, you know, I, you know, I do it. Now every day, though, I come home exhausted. <laughs> like, really, really physically exhausted. Um, but when I go into bed at night, when I go to sleep, I, I sleep every night like a fucking dead person. Thank you. That was Adam Selbst. Adam is a writer and graphic designer from Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Prior to the lockdown, he hosted the monthly Big Irv Storytelling Roadshow and has been performing around New York City for the last 10 years. Before we proceed, a few reminders. Throughout the pandemic, we've been holding online live shows almost every Friday. Tonight, Story Collider has an hour of stories themed around pregnancy. And next week, we'll have a local show. Our Chicago team will be sharing stories from their neck of the woods. Find out more at storycollider.org. We'd love to see you there. There are also still spots available in our May online storytelling workshop. You can join us from wherever you are in the world to learn more about telling compelling stories about science. Find out more, of course, at storycollider.org workshops. And don't forget, if you'd like to listen to an ad-free version of our podcast, you can subscribe to Story Collider on Patreon for $5 a month. That helps us continue to offer honoraria to our storytellers and fairly compensate all the wonderful folks, such as producers, audio engineers, and more, who help us make this happen. Check that out at patreon.com slash thestorycollider. Our next story is from Sarvan Esmaili. It was recorded last February at her home in British Columbia. I'm sitting on a train, glancing at everyone around me. All distanced, all wearing masks, hiding their voices. And nobody sits next to me. And that makes me feel even lonelier. My glasses are fogged from the moisture in my mask. My vision is misty. And I really want to make eye contact but all the eyes are glued to phones. I wonder how grandma's doing with her phone. I was for digital support, taught her how to take pictures, to text, and to use emojis. 
Now she attaches random emojis like crazy eyed tongue sticking out to the end of every single text. Helping her was my excuse to see her. Examine the veins on her hands and soak in her smile after she masters something new on her phone. It's been five months. Haven't seen her for five months. Sometimes I wonder, is this all worth it? Shouldn't I be using this time to spend more time with her before it's too late? But the fear of losing her has made me stop seeing her at all. Maybe I should text her. So I type in L-O-V-E-Y-O-U. Love you. Doesn't feel right. I change the keyboard to Farsi and type in D-O-O-S-T-E-T-D-A-R-A-M. Dara. With a heart and tongue sticking out emoji. There we go. Sent. Next stop, commercial Broadway station. This is the busiest stop in Vancouver. All kinds of people here. Buskers strumming guitars, the homeless pointing to I need to eat signs, adults in suits, teens on skateboards with portable speakers blasting Drake's God's Plan. Always two moms with two strollers waiting for the elevator, while elders totter at their own pace. But now barely anyone here. Only birds chirping from a distance while I'm walking on old cigarette butts on the floor. It's 2 p.m., July 25th, and it's smoking hot. And now I'm waiting at the bus stop, going to the Grandview Park to see some friends. I don't know how that's going to be. Probably all distance and sitting awkwardly in silence. Behind me, an old man's yelling at two older women. Can't quite hear what they're saying. My heart races. I'm thinking, are the women okay? He's so loud and they're so quiet. If it was my grandma, she wouldn't be quiet. She's screaming to that old man's ear so loud he'd need hearing aids. And everyone is looking at them, frozen, doing nothing. Should I step in? No. No, no, no. It's none of my business. But what if it is? And then number 20 arrives, and then the two ladies who were being yelled at are now in front of me. The brunette with glasses and the blonde with walker. They both chatter while the bus driver is rolling his eyes, waiting for them to decide if they're getting on the bus or not. Bibin man miram hob, bachanto stotigi mibinameto, biyo. Okay, okay, negaro nebush, man yikorish bikona miyom tige. Mother tongue? My mother tongue? They both speak Farsi. My eyes glow. It's unusual to hear Farsi in downtown area. Knowing that they're Iranian and were being yelled at by an old Caucasian man just breaks my heart even more. Feels like he was yelling at my grandma. And then the brunette lady tells the blonde lady who can't decide to get on the bus or not to meet her in four stops so she could give her half of her cherries she bought this morning. The brunette lady's on the bus, but the blonde lady gets off the bus and walks toward the bench. She seems sad, just like she lost a friend. Now the bus driver is waiting for me to get on the bus. I look at the blonde lady outside, sitting all alone, and I look at the bus driver impatiently waiting for me. I really want to know what's going on. What if I can help her? 
You getting on the bus or not? No, sorry. I get off the bus. The bus goes, so does the brunette lady. And I sit on the bench next to the blonde lady. There's an empty seat between us. I'm still shocked. I look deep into her eyes. She has green eyes. And her skin is much lighter than me. Oh, she might be from north of Iran. I sense her breath. Salam, shoma khubin. Hi, are you okay? No mask could hide her smile. Her face just lights up. She's breathless, stuttering. Iran? Toto Irani? Finally, she asks. Yes, I am Iranian. Bob! Bob! Irani! She points at the same old man who was yelling at her earlier. But now, he becomes a friendly Bob to me. You can speak Farsi? He asks me with excitement. Yes, I do. Oh my goodness, how on earth? Okay, okay, you really need to translate this for me. I am Bob, and this is Mahshid. He points at the blonde lady. We are neighbors. You need to tell her that I want to go home. She wants to still see her friend, but I want to go home. Tell her that. Chimige. So I'm translating everything to Mahshid. Nah, nah, man boyat bebinamesh. Behesh dadam. Is she saying no? Damn, how does he know what she's saying? So I tell Bob that she promised her friend that she would see her in four stops to take some cherries. But Bob just interrupts me, and that makes me laugh. He desperately wants me to tell him what's going on, but then at the same time, he's too impatient to listen. Nope, nope, machine, we can call her when we get home. I have been waiting for four hours. He raises four of his fingers up and keeps shaking them at Mashi. Bob needs to go home. What is home in Farsi? Kune. Mashi, Bob, Kune, okay? Nah, I promised her she doesn't have a cell phone. She's going to be all worried about me. I know Bobby's going to be really mad when I translate this. So I try to tell him nicely. But it didn't work. He's fuming and keeps yelling. Mashid is yelling too. But they're not making eye contact with each other. They're both looking at me, yelling at me. Now I am Bob and Mashid. And I feel like I have so much power all of a sudden. I feel like I can't solve anything. But they're both still looking at me, trying so hard for me to understand what they're feeling. And then Mashid says, I don't need you. I can go on my own. So I tell Bob and he starts laughing like he's the winner of the argument. But then he stops laughing and looks deep into Mashid's eyes and calmly says, I am not going to leave you here. I am not going anywhere without you. Let's just go home. Mashi looks at me and he's waiting for my response. I tell her, Bob really cares about you. But, but he's tired and, and you can call your friend when you get home. He loves you. Her eyes glow again like she's never heard someone telling her how much he loves her. Maybe Bob doesn't know how to tell her yet. She finally says, 
Okay. Very. Okay. Bob looks at me and says, Oh, thank you. Thank God we met you. They're no longer looking at me. They're looking at each other. And that makes my heart melt. Love needs no language. Just eye contact. I still think about the other woman, though. I helped Mash Sheet and Bob, but not her. But now I'm really late, so I walk faster, and I hit the pedestrian crossing button with my elbow, and so many people are in front of me, and I'm trying to pass all of them. I pass a scooter boy, I pass the two moms with strollers, and then there's a lady who's walking really slow. Excuse me. Excuse me. I'm trying to get her attention so I can pass her too. But then I see her hands. She's carrying a full bag of cherries. This can't be it. I can't see her face, only her back. Excuse me. She doesn't look back. Excuse me. Still nothing. Bebachit. She turns her head back. It's her. The brunette lady with glasses, Mashi's friend. And I say in Farsi, this is really weird, but I wanted to tell you that your friend, Mashid, really wanted to see you, but Bob was really tired and they went home, but she's going to call you soon. Her bag of cherries are about to collapse. What? Really? What should I do with these? She was supposed to come and get the cherries. And then after a hot second, she goes, Bia. Here, take all of these cherries, all for you. Oh, you don't have to, really. Here, take it, it's yours now. Do you want to have my number? Here, put in your phone. You can call me or visit me. And then she starts walking towards home again and then stops and turns her head back. You want to come over now? Oh, merci. Wow, thank you so much for these cherries. Sorry, what's your name? What? My words don't reach her. Maybe she has hearing loss. So I yell back and say, Merci. Thank you. Merci. <laughs> she smiles with her eyes, just like my grandmother, and heads home. She gave me her number without introducing herself and invited me over without even knowing me. <laughs> I'm sitting on the grass, glancing at friends around me, all distanced, all wearing a mask, and a big bag of cherries on my lap. Fingertips all red slushy, sparkling, melting with the slick of my tongue, swinging the tense air. I look at my phone and I open a text from Grandma. Miss you. Would you like to go for a walk sometimes? Masked up and distance? Tongue sticking out emoji. <laughs> She's still here. Her soul has been with me all day. That was Sarvan Esmaili. Sarvan is a theater artist, writer, activist, and storyteller. She's a recipient of the 2019 BC Arts Council Scholarship and recently created her one-woman show, The Songs of Silent Singers. In May, Sarvin will be a part of the Arts Club's Leap Playwriting Intensive. The Story Collider is so grateful to Adam and Sarvin for sharing their stories with us. 
Story Collider is also grateful for the support of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. This podcast series is produced by me, Erin Barker, with assistance from Story Collider's Deputy Director Nissa Greenberg and Senior Podcast Editor Jun Chen. Special thanks goes out to Story Collider's board, our Interim Executive Director Leslie Griesbach-Schultz, and our Operations Manager Lindsay Cooper, without whom none of this would be possible. The first story featured in today's episode was produced by Misha Gajewski, and the second by Kayla Glenn. Our theme music was composed by Eva Gertz of the Fulton Street Music Group. Until next Friday, this is Story Collider signing off. Stay safe, wash your hands, wear a mask, get vaccinated if you can, love each other. Thanks for listening.